Welcome to the Alternative Story Podcast, where we talk about mental health and its intersections with various aspects of our lives. Our podcast takes an intersectional feminist and self-compassionate lens to discuss some frequently and not so frequently asked questions about mental health. Hello everyone, welcome to the Alternative Story Podcast. My name is Rashi and I'm the director and co-founder of the Alternative Story. Today we're going to talk to Hiba, who is a psycho-oncologist. A psycho-oncologist is someone who specializes in the application of psychology to cancer care. Apart from being a good friend, Hiba is also the one who introduced me to something called as Dari Idli, which tastes exactly like it sounds. So welcome to the Alternative Story podcast and I'm going to start by asking you a very basic question because generally when you think of cancer, you think of physical health. But what is the relationship between mental health and cancer or surviving cancer? That is a very uh, simple yet extremely unknown um, question. A lot of people don't have the answer to that. And um, so, of course, when we when we look at a cancer illness or when we hear about a cancer diagnosis, the first thing that comes to our mind is the physicality of what it is. And uh, having said that, I think it's also uh, important for us to realize that cancer does not only come with physical trauma or the physical aspect of the illness, but a very, very integral and an equally important mental aspect of the illness as well. So when we talk about cancer, we're also looking in tandem at the emotional ups and downs that are happening. And it's obviously an experience that can be, in majority of the cases, very devastating for both the individuals who are diagnosed as well as their families and friends. And mm-hmm. so uh, when we're talking about the individuals and their families undergoing the experience of cancer, it's obviously a very devastating experience. And they're also going through a lot of emotional upheavals, not just at the time of diagnosis, but throughout their process. And you know, soon after diagnosis, a lot of existential questions come to your mind. And a lot of my sessions also go around that. Uh, so something as uh, uh, basic as why me? And they might seem very uh, easy or very late questions that we've heard and read across the board. But they're very, very serious questions. And there's no easy answer to it. A lot of times people come back you know, quote unquote, saying, I've never had serious health issues before. I'm so healthy. I eat right. I exercise. I don't have any bad habits. Then why is it happening to me? And how can I, out of all the people, have cancer? It sometimes also goes to a level where they say that, but I've never committed a sin. Why am I being Mm. punished? And majority of the times it just comes down to, but I don't want to die. And I think that, uh, when cancer as a diagnosis evokes these thoughts, it primarily goes to the whole aspect of death and dying. And it's very, very important for all of us to hear and realize that living with cancer or being diagnosed with cancer does not always imply the end of life. You, you kind of segued into a really interesting point and I wanted to understand what are the kind of other emotions that people generally have to being diagnosed, uh, obviously, we you spoke about a lot of existential questions like why me, uh, which could include and which is very similar to also mental illness in terms of why do I have depression, but also in terms of I've never committed a sin. I think that was a very interesting kind of uh, sentence that you said or interesting reaction that people have because cancer, because I would assume is seen as a death sentence, is seen as a punishment rather than a mm-hmm. disease. So what are the other kinds of reactions that you often see of people to being diagnosed? Well, I think when when initially, of course, there's, uh, there's a lot of trauma. And I think it also comes with a lot of disbelief that, mm. wait, I think this has happened. And that leads to a lot of second and third, uh, you know, uh, opinions as well, which is fine. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of denial that, you know what, I don't think this is right. I think the report is incorrect and whatever, I can wait it out. Um, sometimes there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of depressive symptoms, a lot of fear. You're just scared. You're scared of the uncertainty. You're scared of not knowing what lies ahead. And many times the fears are also about your family more than what's happening to you. 
So instead of thinking about you, you're automatically thinking, but I had these projects planned. I had these meetings planned. I had this travel planned. I have my kids. I have my spouse. I have my siblings. I have my parents to take care. How am I going to work around these aspects? So a lot of trauma, a lot, sometimes there's also guilt and shame. There's also embarrassment of, oh my God, why is it happening to me? Many times with tobacco-induced cancers or people with a history of any kind of substance leading to, say, lung cancers, throat cancers caused by evident smoking, evident drinking. And it also comes with a lot of guilt and shame, even to disclosing that kind of uh, knowledge to even the clinicians. Since there is so much of correlation between smoking and, say, cancer or a, a vice whatever the vice might be, and cancer, do you think that automatically uh, people assume that just because you have cancer that you must have done something bad or you might have bad habits? Is that is that also a common reaction that people have or fear rather? Of course they do. I think sometimes when, uh, you know, people uh, have, say, diagnosis which are directly associated with, uh, you know, tobacco-induced cancer, for example, there does automatically comes in this this um, stereotype or the stigma where oh this person must be a smoker or this person must be drinking a lot and I think that that is the first go to reaction where they're like oh did you smoke and I think these are questions which also induce that guilt further and also to go back to the initial existential questions of you know asking but I've never smoked so why me and yeah, I think yeah. loop goes on for people who. Um, who also get diagnosed with these kind of cancers, there's also one emotion that, you know, I didn't mention earlier, very integral, a lot of anger, whether it's towards yourself, whether it's towards, you know, it's displaced somewhere else. We don't know. It varies from person to person. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of anger as well. So you spoke a lot about shame and that's what I was kind of thinking about because what about cancer is so shameful that people feel the need to have that emotion? Well, given the extent of stigmatization of cancer in our country, there is a high need, there is a dire need to address risk factors, right? And perceptions which shape the attitudes of individuals towards cancer. And I think as a result, we often um, look at the illness as something that has been brought upon by the individual, him or herself, which is the problem, which is the problem that we grew up watching, you know, movies like Anand and other films ended cancer in a in a, unfortunately an end of life there was no care there was no cure so most of the people in the country assume cancer is something which is something we're not going to make it now in that of course it's a life-threatening disease i agree and i'm not going to deny that very obvious fact but it's also a chronic illness now chronic illnesses don't mean end of life once again Chronic illnesses mean that your treatment process and your trajectory is going to be long term. Months, years, and obviously the different um, lines of treatment, surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, etc. So one needs to understand that just like any other chronic illness, chronic illnesses will also have diabetes, other heart ailments, respiratory concerns, and so on and so forth. Similarly, cancer is also in the same spectrum. Like scientifically, there's so many advance advancements that are happening constantly, especially with a disease like cancer, that there are better uh, technologies available today than what was available, say, while the shooting of the movie Anand was going on. I have debated whether I should be sharing this on the podcast and we've spoken about it. But uh, so my mom was diagnosed in around, I, I want to say 1995, 1996. I think of cancer. I do think of end of life because that's what the personal experience has been. But mm. when you think about it rationally and when you think about if the diagnosis had happened today, it would have probably been a much more different scenario. And mm. and that's that's the understanding I think I would like to focus on the focus on thinking that there are there is a possibility of survival the more accepting and the more talk, conversations we have about it the more earlier it's possible to detect it like in in my life in my very short life i'm now 31 and mm -hmm. i've had two biopsies already because i had two surgeries and we're obviously more cautious about it right now so yes. uh catching things earlier is uh, 
is the best kind of detection obviously but also i wanted to understand when since we're talking about mental health uh, does mental health have a role in surviving cancer no firstly thanks for sharing i think that was really personal and very very important how i think objectively you've looked at the whole scenario where uh, yes things are obviously yeah. yeah well I, that's true actually and i think that you're very right that things uh, years ago to what the developments in technology and new protocols and more um, sophisticated protocols and treatment uh, plans where even the patients who are going through the treatment don't feel the impact you know how cancer mm-hmm. you could be an aggressive form may not be like that your quality of life your functionality are also very much intact and i think that's a very pleasing sight to see even as professionals that you know your patients are leading normal lives and then normalcy thankfully hasn't been disrupted second um when you talk about concept of survivorship and how one deals with these things early detection of course helps people are more aware uh we have young patients you know early 20s with breast cancer diagnosis and they themselves had done self examinations and came out mm-hmm. because of the growing advertising awareness campaigns across rural and urban settings by the way now obviously there are also age related factors that come with it and when you're younger you may be prone to a lot more emotional upheavals than someone whose age is more quote unquote you feel out of sync with your peers and family and colleagues um you're also uh, you're also dealing with you know you're working your work life balance gets disrupted you're looking at your body differently and i think that whole sense of loss of who i am to what i've become is often you know that that transition may not always be smooth so i think coming back to uh, what you were asking that there is this association that cancer obviously means end of life and i've also had people in my family who unfortunately did not make it but as a professional and at that time i wasn't one but now even as a professional that situation or that experience in my life does not change my outlook to how i see patients now on the contrary i've actually you know told myself many times and i'm like wow this is a pleasant surprise this is someone who's dealing with the illness for 4 years 5 years 8 years and touch wood and you know thank god just look at them this is what the examples that that make you happy these are examples that uh help motivate the rest of the people who are recently diagnosed to see that you know my trajectory is not always going at an end of a full stop but there's a lot more you know there's a comma that that the sentence continues and i think that's how i've also started looking at it of course there are good cases and not very good cases and i'm not and that's part and parcel of the whole uh broad field and broad spectrum of oncology and cancer care that we're looking at but uh, definitely that whole concept of survivorship is changing but of course with survivors and survivorship care a lot of mental health concept emotional changes also change and they're very important to look into because even after the treatment you're prone to mental illnesses and related concerns i'm trying to kind of make sense of this entire bit uh, of conversation but it if me i think that sometimes it helps to understand that i am a mere statistic my experience is not the singular experience of cancer that that's the part that helps me and like i said before distance obviously helps because it's been uh, oh, oh my god man uh 23 years that since my mom passed away so that's a long long yeah. time so all uh, mm-hmm. this is a good time to kind of just take a short break we'll be back in a minute Bluedon is a mental health care support group for Bahujan. It connects marginalized persons to affordable and accessible mental health care services. The Bluedon facilitates anti-caste, queer-friendly, and disabled-friendly mental health care services to all Bahujans. So, if you are a Bahujan and are seeking support, or if you want to make mental health care accessible to all by sponsoring therapy, or if you are a mental health professional yourself, you can visit the Bluedon.org. Welcome back, everyone. We're in conversation with Hiba. We're talking about the impact of cancer and the diagnosis on mental health. Let's just 
start talking a little bit about what goes through a person's mind when they are diagnosed and what is the impact of a diagnosis like cancer on the person's mental health people react differently sometimes they may react sometimes they absolutely have no reaction so i think it's wrong and we have to generalize that everyone goes through a certain emotion but it's varied in different people when you're told that you have cancer or we're suspecting cancer there's a lot of fear there's a lot of shock that comes with it they're very okay you know what this is a problem let's go for it what's the solution sometimes they come with a sense of denial that no 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 this is not happening and as a result many times they end up escaping sometimes delaying treatment sometimes not even coming back for the basic care sometimes assuming that this is the end of life and saying that you know what i don't want to put my body through this there are also incidences of self harm and attempts to suicide that come in with a cancer diagnosis for reasons that may be due to financial burden they may be due to extreme or excess amount of shock that has not been dealt with and of course inability to cope in that moment there's also a lot of times there's um, one is trying to accept one is trying to come to terms with it there's a lot of anxiety there's a lot of depressiveness that also follows and sometimes a precautionary biopsy can also imply that okay something's wrong and you assume biopsy is associated with cancer sometimes there's avoidance sometimes there's also escape to even meet the doctors again and compliance issues coming said you know what i'm not going ahead with the treatment sometimes the side effects of the chemo that are known to lay people they scare you and they said you know what i'm okay doing the surgery or the radiation but i'm not doing something that changes my physicality or physical appearance that seems like a lot to take in for a person who just got diagnosed and how do you make sense of all of this and how do you contain all of this and that's very nicely put Uh, and i think when we're talking about these very intense emotions it also is very important for us to realize and know that it also induces feelings of helplessness and hopelessness which also sometimes imply that i feel very out of control i don't know what's inside my body i don't know what's happening to me there is this very uninvited guess which is a very common thing used for a cancer tumor or a lesion that i don't know what to do this is i don't feel me when you're looking at that hopelessness and helplessness and just that that impending fear that is sort of clouding your mind it's important to know that when you do contact a psycho oncologist or a mental health professional working in oncology and cancer care it's very very uh, important that they contact or they should be contacted right from the beginning the initial stages of the cancer diagnosis and this is to help probably to build a rapport in the, for the coming months or the coming days to provide that support in developing coping skills not just for the patients but also the families you need to understand that this illness is not independent of the families that are there in india we are a collectivist society we all come together and i often say this to a lot of my uh, you know my patients and their families together i said this person is diagnosed but all of you are diagnosed with him and her you know yeah, it's it's yeah. default you're all together and that's why it's important to know that when you reach out to a psychologist you're also reaching out not just for one on one sessions but you also have support groups you also have group sessions you have family sessions what they do is that they focus on strength building they focus on building self awareness building or preparing oneself towards a stronger position to control these emotions and thoughts in a positive way in the long run and i'm not saying they happen over a period of 5 hours or 2 hours or 24 hours but obviously it's it's a process coping with any long term illness requires a strong support of family friends and health professionals what is the impact of this on a caregiver because these emotions that you spoke about of a person who might get diagnosed i can see it very clearly also happening with a caregiver of course sometimes they're similar sometimes you learn those behaviors sometimes you're feeling the same behaviors at the same time sorry same emotions at the same time sometimes you um uh, you displace it to each other and uh, many times the families are also going through very similar fears and anxieties sometimes um, their narrative is different only in a way where am i doing the right job am i taking care in the right manner where am i going wrong am i going to the right doctors am i going for the right treatment should i go for a second third fourth opinions 
am i taking to the right place and i think their anxieties are also more logistic more practical which sometimes they take that burden they share the burden or sometimes just completely take it away from the patients because they already have a lot to take and they take it upon themselves leading to this burden their physical mm-hmm. health is impacted their emotional health is also impacted and i'm meeting the patients the first time for example and they're like you know hiba i'm actually fine why don't you just talk to my family member or the primary caregiver who's sitting there and and they laugh and they say you know i'm actually fine but they're not okay and and that's how sometimes i'm actually shifted from the patient to the caregivers uh, i have a lot of caregivers actively in therapy which because they identify that if i'm not going to be mentally also okay my physical health will take a toll and how how will i then be able to take care of my family member who's going through this experience of cancer treatment so that's also very uh, interesting and you know and it also resonates to um my own personal experience i think being a caregiver where you would see the changes and it's not like the changes happen gradually sometimes they're mm. sudden sometimes the hair just suddenly falls and you're like whoa what just happened or or they just suddenly start looking weaker or they just suddenly start losing weight or their functionality is not as it's not the same as it was before their quality of life is impacting their panting more climbing stairs they're getting tired more they're being very uh, sensitive to feelings and emotions you have to be very careful you have to mince your words sometimes because you don't know what impacts them you don't know what hurts them of course these are changes that family members see across this whole phase in which they're very equally part of i can completely relate with the hair part of it because mm-hmm. i was very young so i don't i i really don't remember a lot of the entire uh, chemotherapy for my mom but i do remember the hair part it was very sudden and 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 that also brings me to the next question of having young children around and what conversation should you have with a young child firstly thank you for uh, putting that question out there because it is so important and it is so relevant especially in india it's often seen that the amount of protectiveness that comes from family especially towards kids and here i'm not even referring to younger kids who are under 15 i'm talking about older grown up children who are 20 25 plus the parents need need to protect the child is so high that sometimes the basic communication of what they're going through of their own experiences many times hidden from the kids children are extremely perceptive and sensitive to pick on these little changes that they see in the parents if they're going through something physically they know something as basic as oh they started going to the hospital a lot for example or they started noticing that oh okay you know um uh, mama's or mama or papa have come back with a really bad mood something's not right they'll pick on these changes they don't have to know what cancer is what its implication is what the prognosis is what the treatment impact is they'll just see if you're in a good mood or a bad mood and they will know second when they see the physical changes and you mentioned something about hair because it's different and difficult for children to transition from that normalcy to the new normalcy which is that your mother or father or sibling might look different for the next one or one and a half years till their hair grow back especially with people with longer hair sometimes children are also selfish and their selfishness is just to to meet their basic needs of safety security belongingness so for them it, they don't know the whole concept of death and dying they'll just know will you be there to take care of my needs will you feed me will you love me will you change me will you provide food etc i think that's the model with most children work from that it's not about oh cancer means death or end of life and that's why i'm scared no they don't they don't have those sophisticated thinking patterns their anxieties will come out what if my mom or my dad are not there what if they're not there to take care of me and i think that's their emotional vulnerability acting out many times our patients have told us and gotten back that we sat down with our children and said hey the treatment is strong and we're going to probably have an impact on my hair so the, how they word it how they tell them is very very different it's important to trust your child please trust them to know they'll handle it they'll take care you know your child the best 
somebody like me or the treating doctor or the treating physician cannot take a call on how your child reacts but if you involve them if you give them the authority or the autonomy to be in sync with what you're doing they'll feel a lot more a lot more secure they'll feel less vulnerable they'll be like oh it's my it's the hospital day that's how a lot of our patients do so it's very interesting and i'll share an example um someone i met during her chemotherapy and she had a young daughter must be in second or third grade and uh, when she lost her hair she's like you know um all the kids will make fun of you when you come to pick me from the uh, from the school and you look different and i don't think i like you like this and your hair was better and it did upset her because obviously she herself was going through the emotion uh, the emotional changes of losing hair what she did was she said you know what i'm not going to wear a scarf and i'm going to uh, you know shave my head because my hair is falling in she went to pick her daughter from school and all the kids little kids started sniggering and they said oh your mother is bold and she said hey why don't you come and touch my hair it's really cool and by then she had small hair cropping up and all the kids ran and they're like oh wow this is so cool and they started like putting their hand on her head and it became like a little game and then they turned back to the little girl and said wow your mama is so cool that's so nice and we really like it and it must be so cool no shampoo and i think that's how they made the little game and she came back smiling and i i mean i think that's something that really stayed with me and i often share it with my other patients i've taken permission to share this example and i think that's how a lot of parents actually form the narrative for their children to be very much a part of it when you trust the child they are more responsible they're more emotionally aware emotionally confident and in control to handle themselves and their parents so a couple of things has even stood out to me while you were talking about this example is one this conversation where this child where this parent was able to say hey i've lost hair but it's a cool thing not a bad thing i mm. think also came from the fact that she was in the process of understanding our dealing with her own body image issues yes in the absence of that i think it would be very difficult to kind of do this entire exercise which is i'm hoping a lot more people are comfortable with Now, and Tashi, one one uh, point that I want to add is that parents also need to realize that their children are smart, you know, mm. with with the technology and the usage of it. I mean, someone right from the age of four and three, they know what YouTube cartoon to put on, right? So when they hear these words, or you know, even if they Google, uh, why does a hair why does hair fall happen? they it will directly take you to cancer like the first or the second uh, the second study or the second um, search on the search engine will take you to hair fall is caused due to cancer treatment for example so sometimes when i'm talking to children of the patients they're like you know what don't tell my parents but i already know she or he has cancer and of course i have to maintain confidentiality of that part with the parents are like oh they don't know what's happening so please don't disclose that you're a psycho oncologist or this is oncology or this is cancer they know they already know they'll find out through your prescriptions and the hospital and the doctor name it's not rocket science anymore so it's better if it comes from you even if there are questions they want to ask allow them a space mm. to ask those questions to you something as basic as you know when children get really scared they're like mujhe to nahi like will it happen to me i hope it doesn't happen to me will i contact it by touching you because it's important for making it's important to make them realize that we can continue with our physical affection i'm there physically mentally psychologically with you and it's not a communicable illness and i'm just trying to understand even the vicious cycle of this if i do not allow that space for the child to ask questions and debunk it there will be these questions that will hurt you further like i i don't want to hug you because you have cancer yeah. and and that will impact your mental health and i'm just seeing that as a circle that goes on and and it really doesn't allow space for mm. uh, open and honest communication as well as space to kind of feel your emotions and and i can see that everyone's mental health gets kind of gets affected I think that's an important point to kind of take our second break and uh, we'll just be back in a minute. The Trans Men Collective is a collective of trans men for trans men by trans men. The mission of the collective is to bring the trans men community together. 
and create a safe space. The collective hosts social media campaigns and online support and workshops that are conducted online as well as offline. To get in touch with the collective, you can visit their Instagram page or their website transmencollective.wordpress.com. Okay, welcome back everyone. So in our third and final part, we're going to talk a little bit about hoping. So um, so even before diagnosis, is there something that people can do to build resilience? Well, I think uh, that when we talk about resilience, it's obviously a very uh, large concept and every individual's uh, resilience or coping mechanisms are very, very subjective. So what might work for me may not work for you. You do not always need new coping skills, coping skills or coping mechanisms to deal with this. You need to also trust your own resilience. You need to trust your past patterns that you must have gone through some ups and downs in life that you survived and you came out of. Whether it was mental, physical, financial, relationship-based, uh, professionally and so on. But you are here, you survived. And this is also something that you will. So trust yourself. Believe in your abilities to tackle this head on. And I think it's important to constantly remind yourself it's okay to feel what you're feeling in the moment. It doesn't make you, again, quote unquote, a weak person. I hear this a lot in my sessions. I'm sorry, Hiba, I'm breaking down. I'm not a weak person. I'm actually very strong. And I often tell them, I said, look, the next session I'm going to fight with you. What are these words? What are we referring to as strong and weak? Crying is an expression. Crying is an outlet. It's an emotion. I cry when I'm angry. So it's okay if you're crying because you're scared. It's okay if you're crying because you're helpless. And that's fine. You're fearing a certain sense of loss. You're grieving a certain routine. You're grieving a certain lifestyle. People need to trust their own abilities, their family's abilities to cope and deal with this diagnosis and you'll pull through, you'll pass through it. So you're talking a lot about this entire concept of weak and strong and I often see that also with mental illness in terms of people saying that how can I be anxious when I'm such a strong person otherwise and or when people come for counselling for a relationship loss and mm -hmm. I often see this uh, in men where they'll be talking about like uh, I'm generally not like this but this loss is feeling really really bad or when they lose their jobs or something like that I feel like especially with a diagnosis like cancer it is scary I mean we can normalize it all we want and we can talk about it very rationally and uh, but I think one of the things that you mentioned even in the beginning is that being scared is that being yeah being scared is absolutely normal for a diagnosis I can imagine people going through all the five stages of grief just as similarly for like we're doing with the lockdown and corona and covid not in a specific order like it's it's sometimes very common for people to accept from day one but what follows after is also not not easy right you've accepted and you know and now I also have to deal with uh, the obvious what's in front of me um, and and you're right, and I think sometimes there's a sword, con uh, this sword constantly um, on your head to um, not doing which side it's going, and and of course that whole uncertainty, and it's very interesting, you know, Rashi, that being comfortable with uncertainty and the cer the certainty of uncertainty. I think that's that's how I would like to put it. That that is so that is so obvious. And you have to make peace with that. You have to know that you don't know what lies ahead. But in that moment, it's very important to also be hopeful and know that, you know what, I'm in treatment, not because I'm giving up. I'm in treatment for to improve my health, to improve my quality, to improve my, to improve my physical and mental well-being in the coming future. And that's why you're taking treatment. What would you say that a family member can do for a person with cancer in terms of ensuring good mental health? Very, very integral aspect of someone's cancer journey. And it's important to realize, uh, Rashi, that recovering from cancer can obviously be a very long-drawn process. And sometimes it often exceeds the duration of the treatment itself. Now, the healing for both the survivor and their loved ones is not obviously just on the physicality part, but also emotional healing. And there's this... Um, aspect that I noticed in 
both the individuals and their families that they seem to be in a hurry and it often leads to a lot of conflicts and a lot of uh, discord between the two families have a very integral role to accept the changes that will come in in the roles and responsibilities and be willing to help each other cope with these transitions and not during the cancer the actual work happens after the first 3 years after treatment are very crucial there are there is a lot of shift from the medical aspect of care within courts fighting cancer to actual surveillance recovery wellness the fear of recurrence is uh, you know the the alternate of life the alternation of life roles uh, late and long term effects of treatment the physical psychological perceived sense of loss of support etc are very very important aspects that actually crop up after your treatment is done so for families they need to realize that the changing expectations of the family members prior to the treatment including home financial professional roles may also not be the same after and but they their expectation of the same kind of care support uh, that they receive during the hospital visits may be very different and they might actually feel very disappointed or frustrated because the dependence have sh- has shifted so it's important for them to communicate it's important for the families to also ensure that that transition is not sudden but also smooth so that the confidence is not impacted the dependency is not impacted the patients don't suddenly feel abandoned there also comes in a lot of guilt of having put that burden onto say your spouses or your children or your parents that right now i was managing the house and now they have to do it so that is also something that i see in majority of my session at some point or the other during their treatment it's important to nurture and contain those feelings when they crop up because if they pile on it can be very the guilt and the shame of it can be so jarring that you actually don't know how to handle it anymore you don't know how to work around it and the that shame often translates into aggression and anger as well that you don't mean uh, like you mean well but it's actually coming out in a way where there's irritability there's constant snapping there's constant pushing away of your caregivers that just don't be around me i don't need you i don't need your help and that can be interpreted very wrongly and badly for the families that i'm trying to help but you're pushing me away but they don't realize that the pushing away can also be a reaction or a way of telling them that you know i've already bothered you enough not anymore there's so many ways like because each person is so individual the way we accept care the way we want to be cared for is also so unique and so different that one one size does not fit all of course so um this brings me to the point of the fact that we've spoken about how fam caregivers and when i say families again i'm going to repeat saying that i don't mean just families of birth but families of choice and people who are caring but basically when i say family here i mean primary caregivers uh, of the person with cancer so except for the prime what can we as a community as a society do for people who are or families primary caregivers as well as the person who's been diagnosed so what can employers do what can uh, neighbors do what can everyone around kind of do for this family or these people or a unit whatever you want to call it who is struggling or with a diagnosis or with treatment hmm. the first and foremost thing that i always um, would uh, put it on the top of my list for the community at large is to normalize the illness normalize cancer to help yourselves first understand that when you hear about cancer don't assume the worst please trust the individual's body also trust the knowledge that every body human body is different so if one person is diagnosed with a particular cancer whereas the other person is diagnosed with the same cancer it may not necessarily imply that both their trajectories are going to be the same no two individuals will have the same experience similar yes not the same having said that when you are interacting with someone who you know is say on active treatment or who's had cancer don't make their entire existence about cancer 
they're not known as cancer, right? You don't go to someone with diabetes or heart issues and say, hey, diabetes, what's up, right? Similarly, a patient with cancer, an individual with diagnosis of cancer doesn't have to be a cancer patient, quote unquote, all the time. That's not their identity. That's part of their identity. That's part of who, what they're dealing with maybe in the moment, not for the rest of their lives. So talk to them as the human they are. Talk to them with the personality that you know. If it's a friend, don't always call them and say, how are you? Is cancer treating you fine? Are you okay? Talk to them and say, hey, remember what happened in college? Oh, by the way, something really funny happened today. And you know what? I'm going through a problem and I need your help. Involve them. Don't think that your problems are petty because you're going through, say, a breakup. And that person is going through chemotherapy. Don't assume that they won't be able to help you or that it looks bad talking to them about something which seemingly is smaller. Go back to them with the same relationship that you've had. Go back to them with the same dependency that you've had of them. They're there. They're not gone. And I think that's the first thing that societies really need to understand. Similarly with your employers, your colleagues, Continuing with office, business or professional engagements during treatment is actually very typical for patients. They sometimes go, uh, go for meetings, finish their day and come back for radiation in the evening. Sometimes they are working from the chemo daycare. And that's amazing because their normalcy doesn't stop. Sometimes if you're in the hospital for a treatment procedure for four days, five days, you bring in your laptops and computers and you start working from there. Especially when you have your own work or you're in the IT sector or something which is more accessible. Now, some people take their time off during treatment to regain their physical strength. That's also okay. That's also a personal choice, a good one for that matter. But many times they might be treated differently at their workplace or with their colleagues. You know, there's unwanted attention, there's curiosity, there's sometimes discrimination also due to physical health. Sometimes we've noticed our patients have been fired. Uh, that I'm sorry, you're not, you're not an asset to the organization anymore. They sometimes draw comparison with their previous performances. But you were so much more active and efficient before. And now after six months, I don't think you're there. And that kind of over-involvement, interference may actually create a lot of awkwardness and discomfort. And the individuals who have gone through have every right to set their boundaries and choose to speak or not speak out. That is a personal call. If I'm uncomfortable talking about my cancer experience, that is absolutely okay. If someone is very vocal about their cancer experience, that is also okay. It's actually a personal call where societies and communities at large don't have to turn back and see if someone is walking with no hair on their head. It can be a personal choice. But to constantly turn and snigger and whisper and uh, pass comments like, oh, this person seemingly has cancer, it's, I don't think that's a very pleasant thing to do. It's okay if they do. Just because some things are internal doesn't mean that you have to pinpoint and point to them. You need to be more aware. You need to be more aware and normalize and look at them and say, yeah, you're the same person, hair, no hair, doesn't matter. It also might seem like, so often with mental illness also we say that if you're diagnosed with mental illness or you're having a difficult time, we often tell employees, uh, employers that uh, have a conversation and see what they want to do and what they can't do and what they would be comfortable doing. I feel like, I don't know, sometimes it feels like it's really common sense hmm. that, uh, you know, uh, someone's going through a difficult time, just sit with them and say, hey, what's the kind of help you would need? And exactly. try your best to do it and then keep evaluating uh, whether they're feeling better, not feeling better, etc, etc. And I think this comes back to the point about giving space. You give space I'm enough also reassurance and telling them that you're not accountable in any way of your for, for your illness to to sit with them and to be explained that these are the medical causes underlying the condition that can happen to anyone mind you we have someone as small as one year old two year old few months old to 90 plus and that can happen to anyone all of us are carrier of these genes and you're not immune just because the other person has it so you Absolutely. need to and it's you know this it's so beautiful that I've also come across um, patients who are part of organizations in India, in Delhi, NCR and other places that they are so uh, cooperative. Their bosses, their leaders, their directors are so cooperative and so amazing. You know, I think that's the word I want to say to help them re feel reassured and comfortable that, you know what, you want to come back one month, six months, eight months from now. We'll be here. 
welcoming you with open arms and that is what helps you to look at this whole experience with as much normalcy as you can that i do have a right to fall ill without any guilt what else in a way can communities do because uh, so there is say employers who are doing their bit there are family members who are doing their bit uh what else would you say helps a person one to understand uh, that we cannot be comparing one person to another cancer is so common that you definitely would either be knowing someone personally or by extension through family or friends who had this experience before and have gone through either this diagnosis or the journey as a patient or a caregiver or a friend etc so it's common now because it's common you cannot be comparing one person to another without any information or any background knowledge of the illness be responsible with what you share with someone be responsible in uh, focusing on your own body and mind which will actually help in quicker healing don't spread rumors don't don't um don't look at it as a lost cause uh, be there tell them that it's okay to experience any of the feelings that you're feeling just just you know having to hear it's okay it's okay if i'm sounding petty today it's okay if i'm crying over a breakup today it's okay if i'm crying you know if i'm comparing my loss to your loss and it's fine your loss is bigger than mine or mine is bigger than yours or vice versa does it it's pointless why do we do that for societies it's important to realize give them space understand that their needs and capabilities in relation to you and someone else is important be honest to children be honest to children teenagers adults about the diagnosis keep them informed and trust trust each other trust the other person that they'll actually come out it's a bad phase for them they're upset they're seemingly feeling emotionally vulnerable and that's fine we all do right as human beings that's what makes you a human so everyone's interpretations and meanings will be different please don't try to impose your own understanding to the other be empathetic not sympathy not pity empathy just be there during emotional outbursts during adjustments and transitions and just the overall experience or journey of cancer on the whole that's it that's simple but that's it just be there don't give jargons about you know religion or beliefs or your spirituality or understanding it's fine if they don't want to hear just hear them out or tell them hey i'm there even if you want to sit silently for 20 minutes on the phone i like the idea of you know letting the person dictate what kind of help they would like to give also kind of reinforces also to yourself that you are the same person having spoken about the role of the family and the community, what do you think a person who has been diagnosed should do themselves for good mental health like what are some of the tips that you would like to give a person who has recently been diagnosed or has had cancer in the past uh, and would like to work on their mental health what are some of the tips that you think you would like to share so there are some um, you know psychological tools like some which can help with you know working on your strengths and existing coping skills and i think that um, just to probably lead normal uninterrupted lives follow routines that can be very important during your journey and i think just some of the points that i want to just mention which are already known is that you know adopt healthy lifestyle choices uh, for both patients and families that you know avoid any bad habits or vices that can increase the incidence of cancers um keep yourself engaged have me time very very important to pay attention to your own needs and yourself overall don't isolate yourself you know so build social support reach out to people communicate and i think communicating as a concept is very important because verbal expression or any kind of expression through writing drawing music role play drama dance anything that is comfortable can help encourage people to have a problem solving approach where you need to break bigger problems into smaller parts helps and one thing i want to emphasize is please reach out to professional help if you feel any negativity that is interfering with your routine professional engagements interactions at home etc there's no stigma no weakness attached to consulting a mental health professional or a psycho oncologist to help deal with the situation and 
community wise there's something at back at max healthcare that we um really really uh, passionately do is run our volunteer support program their support groups which enable patients families uh, healthcare professionals to come together at the same platform as one to help each other understand that during or after treatment we're still a small continuing family that will always take care will give you the safety net that you miss and reach out to us this is the community that will help new diagnosis also to see you gain positivity and strength and to move on so i this is something that i would say encourages people myself helps me become a better professional because my learning with my patients and families is always so much that i'm so indebted and i'm so thankful to them for actually helping me become a better professional by each passing day i think the point that you made about uh, reaching out for professional help was uh in, in, incredibly important because uh there is space obviously for us you know community to do its bit where families take care of the person employers kind of help the person regain uh or at least be reassured of employment etc but also to recognize that a diagnosis like cancer is very difficult on your mental health and reaching out for professional help can really help you this entire conversation has been great in terms of understanding a lot of things that for me at least i think that my mom went through i went through i i think um, but also in terms of hoping that if somebody touch wood goes through something like this now that i am better equipped to be there for that person and uh, there are a lot of genetic basis for the, a, a disease like cancer good to know that there is good technology and people like you working in the field who will protect my mental health as well so that's <laughs> great so time so hiba is a senior psycho oncologist at max institute of cancer care which is at max healthcare in saket delhi ncr so uh, you can reach out to her uh, through the hospital if you need help you can also reach out to the alternative story by writing into us at hello at the alternative story and thank you so much hiba for talking to us for giving so much time and effort and i know that um, it is emotionally overwhelming to keep talking about it so thank you so much for doing the labor for us thank and you so much yes. see thanks for having i think it's been a personal honor and um, i hope it reaches out to the right people and we gain some small thing from this thank you absolutely thank you so much